other viruses and natural disasters? Well, obviously this is a timely question. We sit here in the middle of COVID-19, pandemic 2020, as the, the fabric of our world has changed in how we relate to each other and what our fears are and what our cares are. But this has always been a timely question. There have always been fires and earthquakes and hurricanes and sicknesses and the experience of what we might call natural evil. And my intent here today is not to give all of the answers, not to give a comprehensive answer, but to give a doorway to an answer, to give us some categories to make sense of natural evil in. And we do need to distinguish between what we might call moral evil and natural evil. Moral evil we're very familiar with, murder, adultery, hate, those kinds of things are moral evils. But natural evil, and that's probably not even the best term, refers to things that aren't done by persons, they're not done by people like you and me, and they're neutral on their own. Right? Like a virus on its own out in the world is not an evil thing, it's not harming anyone. But we experience natural evil, if we want to use that term, as suffering that comes from it. And so we're left with the question, how can a loving God allow things like viruses, allow things like COVID-19 and hurricanes and the like? And there are three main points I wanna get across today. And the first is that natural evil exists because of the fall and the curse of God. The world is fundamentally not as it was designed to be. It's not as it was supposed to be. Death is unnatural. Suffering is unnatural. And we can't let the commonality of our experience of these things change us to believe Otherwise, we, we can't come to believe and affirm and think it's natural that suffering is a part of life. It's unnatural. It's an intrusion. But we also have to remember that suffering is because of sin. All the way back after God creates the world perfectly good in Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve sin and rebel against God and God curses the earth. He doesn't just curse them. We don't just inherit Adam's guilt and his sin nature. No, the whole world is broken because of sin. It's not as it was supposed to be. So that's the first point. But the second two points really trade on this difference between how a non-Christian and a Christian experience natural evil. Because for the non-Christian, natural evil is a call to repentance. It shows that mankind is only sovereign in his own mind, and he's not actually in control of his destiny. There's this interesting account in Luke's Gospel in chapter 13, when some people tell Jesus that Pilate had murdered some Galileans, some people from Galilee. And Jesus says it wasn't because they were worse sinners than those who weren't killed. But he actually goes on to say that the 18 who were killed when the tower at Siloam fell, they didn't die either because they were worse sinners. But here's what Jesus adds to the end of both of these statements. But unless you repent, you will all perish as well. He starts out talking about moral evil, the, the murder of the Galileans, and then he transitions to talk about this natural disaster where a tower just somehow fell. But he's saying that through all of this, God is calling people to repent. That unless anyone repents, they will suffer the same fate. And their, their physical death there is kind of a picture of an eternal destruction that awaits. Because it shows we're not in control. And so we have to rely on the one who is. It's a call to repentance. But third, for the Christian, it's a reminder of the world to come and also a means of our sanctification. Paul talks about this in Romans 8 where he says, We know that the whole creation groans and suffers until now. Not only this, but we ourselves also have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. And so the more we see in the scriptures the glorious picture of God's original design, the more we see of the new heavens and new earth that are to come, the more our experience of our current suffering should point us to Jesus. We understand the greater distinction between those two things.
We should have an increased longing for him to return and set the world right. And Paul continues in Romans chapter 8 and shows us that for the Christian, the suffering in this life is one of the chief means God uses to conform us to the image of Jesus, to transform us into the picture of perfection. If you want to get stronger, you can't skip the weight room. And in a similar way, the path to holiness is not found by avoiding trials, but by going through them while relying on the Spirit. But lastly, we have a Savior who intimately knows us and our needs. He knows our suffering and he suffered on our behalf. And he's with us in our trials and he comforts us in our grief. And he reminds us that our best life is not now. It is yet to come. So the three things we looked at today. First, the world is not as it should be because of sin. Second, suffering is a call to repentance for the non-Christian. And third, suffering for the Christian is a call to hope and it's a means of our sanctification. We should take our cares to Jesus because he cares for us.